For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This is Jeff Fidoten with Believe in Chiefs on the Believe Podcast Network, Kansas City's number one sports podcast network. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? On this week's show, former Chiefs offensive lineman Joe Valerio and I talk a little Derek Thomas, one of the great players to play with the Chiefs. Joe, it's a little bit of a, a, a slow time here in the NFL calendar as we wait for training camps to hopefully start up. So what, what better time to revisit one of my favorite players uh, growing up and a guy you played with and had to block, uh, Derek Thomas, probably one of the top five players in all of Chiefs history, Pro Football Hall of Famer, and his, his numbers are really amazing considering – he, his career was over at age 32. He had that unfortunate um, car accident, which sadly and tragically led to his death. But he had 126 and a half sacks by age 32, which is remarkable. And he had seasons, he had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven seasons of double digit sacks. I, I kind of think of him as the guy who. Other than, I think it is the player most responsible for kind of the revolution of Chiefs football and becoming big again. You know, he was this great pass rusher that was perfect for the loud arrowhead when when it was noisy and he could uh, mm-hmm. he could attack the quarterback. Well, Joe, you you had to block the guy. What was it like to block Derek Thomas? Derek Thomas, I mean, what a great what a great person to talk about, right? Mm-hmm. And even beyond using the word player or teammate, just person he, he was an amazing individual for so many reasons and I'm sure we'll, we'll get into as we focus this pod on DT as you know we knew him and as I think a lot of fans you know knew him as as DT um, my introduction to the NFL really came from Derek Thomas mm-hmm. and you know the first training camp that I went to in 1991 you know, Derek was really at that point, you know, he was already maturing. Like he had an unbelievable rookie season and he had an incredible season in 1990. Right. So he had those two years ahead of him. So he's going into his third year. And, and he I had 30 go. sacks at that point. I mean, so oh, he, when was, you faced yeah, him, he had already had 30 sacks in the NFL. Just amazing. He was seasoned at that point. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, obviously we knew he was getting better and better and better every year. And, and that first season that I had to go against him at training camp. So, John all was a, was a, was, was a holdout that year. So mm-hmm. John, John had held out training camp, like every good veteran does, you know, kind of <laughs> save their body. John, John was already, you know, in his double digits of years, maybe, maybe, maybe at that point he was eight or nine season, but I mean, he, you know, look, John all didn't need to go to training camp, right. Especially given some of the physical uh, ailments that he was, you know, mm-hmm. suffering from. And then Derek Graham, um, was our other was one of our other tackles and Derek was was injured I think in mini camp or mm-hmm. at least in off season training so Derek went into training camp not at 100% so here I was 
like I'm putting it in air quotes as if our listeners can see, I was the quote <laughs> starting left tackle, right? As a rookie from Penn, right? So <laughs> not, not, not Penn state, you know, where I played against players like DT in college or, you know, Michigan or o- Ohio state. Right. So I'm coming out of Penn and I'm the quote starting left tackle, which we knew wasn't, you know, wasn't going to happen. It was just, I was a rookie and I needed, I needed a lot of work, but you know, up until that point, I was the only really one that was going doing a lot of the reps. So I'll never forget, it was our first day in pads, right? You, you, you know, you do a couple of days in shorts and you get yourself acclimated. And then when Marty, when we put the pads on, man, we put the pads on. Like it, there was no turning back at that point. So our first one-on-one pass protection um, drill that we would do uh, or that we did was done on a grid. So so imagine, imagine a... Um, a a grid five players wide okay and that grid curves into a spot like seven yards behind you okay and it almost looks like the three-point line on a basketball court mm-hmm. right and we would we would line up in these particular spots left tackle left guard center right guard right tackle and i am the first one-on-one of training camp right first one because I'm the, they, we, we always started on the left and you started with your starters and then you went down. So we would go me and then Dave Zott and then Grunny. And then, you know, we would go to Dave Lutz and then, and then Rich Baldinger, who was the right tackle at the time. So we're going down the line. So here I am rookie out of Penn and Derek Thomas lines up across from me one-on-one pass pro. It's just you against that player. And they would put a, like a, a five foot, you know, blocking dummy behind you where the quarterback would be standing in like a five or seven step drop. Right. So, and you had this, like this, this, this curved line that kind of showed you the rush routes. Right. And so I have to go against Derek and I always tell people that, look, all right, if, if I wasn't going to have sort of the playing pedigree from Penn, I was at least going to try to use my classroom work from Penn to try to beat Derek Thomas in this first one-on-one. And so I start thinking about physics, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking about the <laughs> physics classes that I took. And, you know, there's that old, that old formula, right? That, that some people, you know, you're familiar, you may, may or may not be familiar with, but you know, it's, it goes like this force equals mass times acceleration, right? So the force that something gives is its size plus the speed, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm doing that formula in my head. All right. And I'm, I'm calculating this. This is all happening in seconds here while, while Howard Mudd, <laughs> It's saying, okay, Joe, you know, we're going to, you know, you got to block uh, Derek on the snap count of, you know, this two, one, three, or whatever the snap count was. So he says, uh, you know, Howard's talking to me and I'm, I'm doing physics formulas in my head. Howard, and I'm Howard thinking, Mudd, I assume, right? That- Howard Mudd. Yeah. So How- Howard Mudd, who was my, my, you know, our first, my first line coach in Kansas city. So, so I go to myself, okay, force equals mass times mass. All right, wait, hold on. I think I got him on that one. Right. So at the time I was probably 300 pounds, even, Derek was in the 250-ish range, 255, maybe 260 going into camp, and he probably slimmed down a little bit after that. And I'm thinking, all right, man, I'm bigger than Derek Thomas. Uh, then I got to the whole acceleration <laughs> part of the formula. And, you know, I always joke that meanwhile, or while they were timing Derek on a stopwatch, they were timing me on a calendar, right, when I ran the 40-yard dash. So I, I knew I was going to have to do something dramatic, Right. So I thought to myself, well, I'm going to try to use my size and I'm going to try to get on him quickly mm-hmm. and, and I'm going to try to like get my hands on him fast and I'm going to try to get out there to where he's lined up. And, and if I can just use my size and my strength to get on him, maybe maybe I'll 
I'll be able to win. Ugh, bad, bad, bad move on that point. So because what Derek could do is he could see body positioning. Remember we talked about Mitchell Schwartz being able to see mm-hmm. things that slow down. Well, every player, every great player has that skill, not just offensive linemen. And Derek had that same skill. Things happened in slow motion for him, even though he was running a 4-4-40. Everything was happening in slow motion for him. And so when I tried to use my size to get out on him quickly, so imagine a player is lined up like on my left shoulder and I'm, and I'm in that, I'm in that like typical tackles pass protection stance, right? Two point stance or three point stance. And I'm looking out at Derek who's lined up in the rush end position, right? So, so imagine that that setup, right? And I'm thinking, all right, if I can just go out there and get on him and not let him use his speed, then, then I could, I, I at least have a shot. I right. did not think I was going to dominate Derek Thomas. Don't get me wrong. I was a, didn't have that big of an ego, but I thought if I could, I could, I'd at least give myself a chance. So when I, when Howard called the snap count and I went out to attack Derek, you know, when, when, when you don't have the technique and you're not ready and you haven't learned and spent enough time in the NFL, you, you, you don't, you know, you learn these things as you go. And, and when, when you watch tackles, okay, when they do a pass protection set and they shuffle their feet, and if you'll notice, their feet always stay equidistant apart. They never come together. You, you never, what we mm-hmm. would call, clap your right. ankles. And so when it's like I always joke, when I used to coach offensive line, I would always tell the players, I would show them in, in the classroom, I would show them the MC Hammer video. When, when MC Hammer does that move and you can't touch this where he moves along and his feet look like they're never moving, mm-hmm. like it just looks like they're staying in the same spot and keeping the same distance and relationship. Well, that's like, that's what you have to do. You have to have, we call it the MC Hammer step because you, you have to go boom, 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 boom without your feet coming together. Because when mm-hmm. your feet come together, a seven-year-old could knock over a 300-pound lineman because you have no leverage, mm-hmm. right? If your feet are together... Think about that. If you if you put your ankles together and you're standing there, anyone can push you over. Right. You have no you have no balance. So that's what happened to me at that particular point. And I tried to get out on Derek so fast that I brought my heels together and I forgot my technique. And when Derek saw that, which he did, by the way, and he told me all about this because that's why I love that guy so much. He was such a teacher. Like he worked with me all of training camp. And and I don't know if I would have been the player that I was. Wow. That's cool. If it weren't for Derek Thomas. Like he was constantly coaching me and telling me the things that I could do better, which was unbelievable, right? To, to spend that time with a rookie on the other side of the ball. And so when I put my feet together, Derek saw it happen because he was rushing up the field, right? Mm-hmm. And he saw it and he turned on a dime and he came right through me. I mean, he literally just went through me and like I, he just completely pancaked me, walked over my chest touch the touch the, touch the fake dummy. quarterback that we had behind me puts his hand out extends his hand out to me and is like you know welcome to the NFL rookie <laughs> and from then on i knew don't ever do that again like so it was like and then you know derek would say you know when i do this you do that you know and of course howard mud was giving me coaching points too but derek was giving them to me from the inside and and that's what set our relationship off and and from that point forward he knew that I wanted to learn and I wanted to listen and I wanted to be a student of the game. And he taught me so much in that training camp, you know, having to go against him every day until John Alt and Derek Graham got, got back. And, and I think it, it really helped me develop and, 
and to pick up some some great pointers and, and some great skills that you know helped me to to hang around the league as as long as I possibly could. And and I have him I have him to thank for that. Talk so, about it, welcome it, to the NFL oh, moment. Now, so that's the very first you're the very first guy to go. Very first thing of training camp. Tell me, what was the reaction from the coaches? Like Howard Mudd, did the did the, your fellow players say anything right after he just when he pancaked you like that? Yeah, there was a lot of oohs and ahs, right? Ooh, <laughs> you know, and uh, you know Howard Mudd basically when I when I when I was laying there on my back, you know, he looked at me and he basically and Howard was tough, tough guy. You know, he was not he was not soft on us, but you knew he cared and he loved you and and he would do anything for us. But he just looked at me. And he said, well, that didn't go as planned. And he said, Joe, you've got, you know, you really have two choices. That's it. That's all you have right now. Get up and do it again. Or, you know, ask Carl Peterson for a plane ticket home. Like that was it. Like that was, and, and he was absolutely right. And that, a lot of times in life, you know, that's, that's what that kind of moment teaches you, right? That you, you have two choices. You can pack it in and say, you know what, I'm never going to do this. I'm never going to be able to do this. Or you can say, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to learn from it and I'm going to get up and do it again. As embarrassed as I was um, and as, and as upset and emotional as I was about getting my, you know, just lunch handed to me, you know, at that point, I just figured, well, no, I'm not going to let that happen. I'm going to, I'm going to get up and do this again and I'm going to get beat again and I'm going to win some and I'm going to lose a lot but I'm going to make sure that I, I always learn from each of those mistakes. And that's what Derek was constantly doing with players. He, he was, he was always in a learning mode and he didn't do that to embarrass me. Trust mm. me. We had conversations about it, you know, after, you know, he did it because he knew I, that's what needed to happen to me at that point. If I was going to progress and stay and hang around and be an NFL player. And, totally. you know, he, he, he just, you know, he was an unbelievable person. And we, be, we, we became very, very good friends and, you know, um, I always, always went to Derek's birthday parties. He always invited me to everything, um, you know, that, that he was doing outside of, you know, football and always invited me to his third and long events. And he was just, um, he became a very, very good friend. And, and you'd think it would be the opposite when you're going against somebody like that and totally. kicking your butt every day. But he knew that, you know, if we, we, when we treated each other with that kind of respect and, and, and that, that sort of mentor mentee and learning relationship that it, it, we knew that it was going to progress and, and we became very good friends. And we'll get to the, some of the off the field stuff because yeah, he was, you know, known for being charitable, the 1993 Walter Payton, Walter Payton man of the year. Uh, but on the field, a nine time pro bowler, you know, we, you faced him in practice. You also faced, Bruce Smith and Leslie O'Neill. How, how did he compare? Was he, uh, as far as a big, a difficult assignment to block? Well, I think what Derek had that, you know, number one that I had never played against in college was somebody who combined incredible speed. I mean, like incredible, like running back type speed. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Leslie O'Neill was a little bit bigger. Bruce Smith was a little bit bigger um, than he was. They were a little bit more, you know, Reggie White was that kind of player. It was a little bit, a little bit bigger. What Derek had was his, his size, you know, he obviously was relatively compared to some of those rush ends. He was relatively undersized, right? Cause mm -hmm. he was really a linebacker right. playing defensive end or vice versa, right? He was, he was, a, he was a linebacker or a defensive end in a linebacker's body. And, and he, but what he had was his, he was so slippery 
and his body control was so much better than any rush end that I had ever played against. His ability to dip his shoulder and get low, his ability to see your weakness and capitalize on it. And that's what he did against so many players. I mean, obviously Andy Heck, who's, you know, the offensive line coach for for the uh, for the Chiefs now was was you know the one who was on the other end of that deal when when Derek almost you know when he had seven sacks in that one Seattle game. Oh, um, that's right. I didn't realize that was wow. That was, that was Andy. Heck. Yeah, yeah. So you know he he you know he was really 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 tough to block because he and he was and I mean Jeff for his size he was incredibly strong. I mean he was crazy strong. Like he, he did all the major power lifts that we used to do, the clean and jerk, the snatch mm-hmm. and all of those heavy Olympic type lifts. And he did them, he did as much weight and he had as much strength as, as players who were anywhere from 25 to 35 to 40 pounds heavier than he was. That coupled with his speed made his size, you know, made his size irrelevant, right? The fact that he hovered around 250, 255 when he was, you know, at his top playing weight. It, it didn't matter because he, he still had the strength of, of a player who was 300, 315 pounds, which, which is, I, which I think was the, the, the deciding factor because speed and speed is one thing, but, and, and the fact that he was a little quote, I'm going to use this term for somebody who's 255 pounds undersized for, for that position. He, he, he's, his strength was, he would bury you with strength. Like he would stiff arm you, you know, if, if even if your arms were a little bit longer, he would get underneath you and he, he would lift guys uh, off their feet because he was so wow. crazy strong. Yeah. A lot, I don't know. I don't know if a lot of people know that because he looked in a uniform. He kind of looked I mean, we, we played in an era back then in the 90s where we, we still wore those those big, big shoulder, shoulder pads, pads and yeah. stuff like today. He would look probably a lot smaller. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, than 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 your typical rush end because he was rel- he was really lean, muscular like you wouldn't believe, but really lean mm-hmm. and and sinewy, you know, for for lack of better terms, and and he had those long, mus you know musculature, and he but man I, he had crazy strength, and and that's what made him so imposing and so scary to to offensive tackles, um, because he had no fear of rushing inside either. You know, when he and when he and the defensive tackles would do their X stunts and the tackle would go outside and Derek would come inside, he had no problem mixing it up on the interior with the centers and the guards either. Mm-hmm. He wasn't just a dip your shoulder, come around the edge guy. He could he could fight his way up the middle of the pocket too. And that's what that's what I think was another added dimension that he had. He could rush from anywhere. Yeah, I and again he his last year in the NFL was nineteen ninety-nine. Unfortunately, he, you know, passed away mm-hmm. so tragically. Uh, shortly after that, but a lot of our younger listeners who may have become Chiefs fans in like the Andy Reid era uh, might be kind of unaware of how good he was and how much of an impact he had in the Chiefs becoming um, such a major force in the NFL and, and, and energizing the fan base in the 90s. So who would be maybe like a modern day cop that you, that you would, uh, for, for Derek Thomas that's playing now? Yeah, like the Frank Clarks of the world, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Frank's a good. I think he's a good a- analogy to to the style and 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 the um, just when you look at his 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 uh, you know the the physical characteristics that, uh-huh. that Frank possesses, he he looks a lot like DT in a uniform. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, though the, he's the type of player, you know, that you would see. I mean, I think. He plays a little bit inside too, but I think a Jadavian Clowney. I think. Mm. 
looks looks a lot like Derek in yeah. the uniform. Um, he has that same, you know, um, sort of athletic build that you see with somebody who could literally play anywhere on the field. You know, I mean, Derek could have played defensive end. He, you know, for all intents and purposes, he could have played middle linebacker if he really wanted to. Mm-hmm. But Derek could hit. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's what I think he was 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 another separator for him for being able to be one of those greats that redefine a position. I mean, you know, Lawrence Taylor, for those that may, you know, be fans of, you know, that, you know, that whole era. And you look back and you watch film of, of, of LT, the way that he rushed uh, the quarterback. LT was probably a little, maybe a little bigger, maybe not. I mean, they were, they were around the same size, I think. Um, so those are the types of players like the Frank Clark is probably in today for a Chiefs fan who's really into the Chiefs. I think I think if you if you go back and watch film of Derek and you look at Frank Clark, I think you'd see very similar, mm-hmm. uh, very similar playing style. So Derek was very much ahead of his time for sure. Yeah, very much so. And no, uh, no diss on Frank Clark whatsoever, who was a Pro Bowl player and such a key to this Super Bowl. I think Derek was even a little level above um Frank during it during his peak too. Oh, oh, oh yeah, absolutely. And and again, like you said, not, nothing not disparaging uh, Frank Clark or or being critical of him. You know, he's a he's a great player. But I just think when when you make the comparison, totally. No, I see what the type of player. You know, Derek um, and Derek benefited. You know, a lot from having and and um, as most players do, any great player will tell you that that you know it's a complimentary game football right and the fact that he had neil smith for, sure. for all those years on the left side the defensive left the offensive right um and and had some incredible pocket what i would call pocket crushers like dan Salimua, joe phillips um pella mcdaniel right you yeah. bill maz i mean you think about the players that he had in the middle of that line um you know, and 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 that they were players that could um, really absorb the guards and the centers and get push in the pocket, and also keep you from having to double team, uh, to always be sending your your double teams out to Derek. You know, because if you left Neil Smith alone, one on one with with the right tackle, or if, if you, you know if you're the opposite team and you're the right tackle and you're coaching your offensive line against Derek Thomas and Neil Smith on the on the bookends, right? And you say, okay, well, we have – generally, if you rush four players, you have five players blocking them, right? You have the five offensive linemen and you have the four defensive players. So it's it's generally, for the most part, obviously there are blitzes and stunts and things you do where you can – or in protection, you can keep an extra player in. So what – picture have our, have our listeners picture. So you have five linemen across and then you've got the four defensive linemen in front of them. So one of those offensive linemen is uncovered, right? Mm-hmm. So – you can send that player to help the other players and build mm-hmm. like a, a what we would call a slide protection, right? right? So at some point you're getting a double team, and like when we played when we played the Eagles in 1992, Reggie White was that player. He was the player that you always sent your uncovered player to. But what did that do? That left you know John All out on the left side, you know, with Clyde Simmons, mm-hmm. who was kind of the Neil Smith of his era. So. You, you 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 create some weakness by that. So when when Derek was getting the slide protection coming to him by the open offensive lineman, or you had the force, you had to keep a tight end in to help on Derek to chip at him, right? 
When you do that, now you don't have a tight end in protection or in your pass routes, right? Mm -hmm. Or if you have a running back coming to chip and you, you lose a running back in your pass route. So you have to adjust for players like that. When you have two of them. Yeah. Rest the whole Derek, scheme. Yeah. It, it, you know, because then all of a sudden Derek, you, when Derek was getting his double teams, you'd always see Neil getting more sacks and getting more pressures because he was soloed up on, on, a, on a right tackle all by himself. And God help that right tackle, right? <laughs> Having to go against Neil one-on-one. -on -one. Right. So you're in like a no-win situation. Then you're, then you're, you fall into situations where like, okay, now what do we do? All right, well, let's double team Derek with our open lineman and let's keep a tight end in and help block Neil. Well, now you just lost your tight end. And that opens up something for the defensive backs to, you know, to make plays. So yeah, it, it's it's a domino effect when you have players like that, and and uh, not taking any anything away from Derek, but he did appreciate having players like Neil Smith who who were going to step up and and make things happen. If Derek, you know, it, it's like in any sport, right? In basketball, right. you double team Michael Jordan, or you double team Ben Simmons for the Sixers, or whatever basketball analogy, somebody else is going to be open. He, and, he and definitely that's what happened. Right. Yeah, great defenders. Right around him, you know, uh, Derek Thomas uh, was one of my favorite players growing up. I, my childhood bedroom, I had his poster over over yeah. my bed, and I got. There's one time I saw there was a BMW parked with an Alabama license plate that said "ISAC QBs." So I'm like, yeah, that's gotta be. Yeah, yeah. that so was Derek's license plate. Right, right. So I actually got to like, you know, I was a kid. I waited for him, and like, I he's quickly signed an autograph, biggest smile ever. I mean, that made my wow. day and, and yeah. made my years as a kid. Um, people often talk about that smile, but Joe, you were pretty good friends with him and you went to these events, his third and long foundation. Tell us what uh, Derek was like off the field. You know, I'll start, I'll start with his generosity. Um, Derek was probably in the six years that I was around the Chiefs organization. Um, I can unequivocally say that he was the most generous player that I was around in those six years. We, and we had some great ones. I mean, you think about some of the foundations that our players started and the time and effort and money that they put back into the community. Um, it was, it's incredible, right? I mean, so just give everybody in, in Kansas city kudos to, to the culture that was built around giving back to the community. But man, when it, when it came down to, you know, push came to shove, there wasn't anybody that was more generous than Derek Thomas. And we all took a lot of lessons from that in how you give back to the community. And, you know, Derek, Derek had, you know, in a very interesting, you know, background, obviously a lot of the flyovers that we used to have mm -hmm. and kind of how we started um, uh, with that was, you know, Derek's dad was shot down. He was a military pilot and he was shot down in Vietnam and, you know, Derek had to live with that his whole life, right? With his, his father as a war hero and, and someone who had, um, you know, tragically died in, in service. And, you know, Derek, um, you know, he never let anything like that hold him back. He was never, you know, somebody who was going to play the victim and say, you know, oh, I grew up without a dad and, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And he, you know, he, um, he, you know, he and his mom just did so much in the community and, you know, Derek just, um, he, he, I think he, he was generous to the military folks. You know, he, mm -hmm. he was always, you know, like I said, he never played that victim and said, well, I hate the military or whatever. He, he celebrated, he always had veterans to games. You know, we would do the flyovers and they'd always, a lot of times they would, 
do where, where one of the planes was missing to celebrate because of Derek's mm. dad. And like, he just, he just like brought out the best in people around him. And I just remember one of my favorite things about Derek and, and he used to do this with Neil Smith a lot is, you know, they would, they would go out and um, at, at the holidays and I'm telling you, these guys wouldn't just get together a couple of, you know, uh, a couple of toys to hand out to some underprivileged families and to go to places where there might be, uh, you know, children involved in foster homes or orphanages or things like that, you know, places like that. Derek and Neil would bring bags and bags and, and of toys and food and fun um, and he they would spend time playing video games and go to these places and he just he was such a generous soul um, that you know was he was just always there for that community and then you know and he and his mom put that really that big emphasis on reading right mm-hmm. and the third and long foundation and how important you know the basis and the foundation of reading was for young people in getting their education off the ground and um, you know I thought that was a really cool way to do it right there's so many there were so many charities and so many charitable functions going on in the Kansas City area at the time. And, you know, for him to pick that, I thought that was really cool, right? To focus on something where you could make a lifelong difference, right? You know, if you could, if you could work on people and, and with young kids and, and, and get them more in tune to what was going on in school and give them a love for reading, he knew and he and his mom knew that that was something that was going to be sort of falls into that category of, you know, if you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. Mm-hmm. But if you teach him how to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. Right. And Derek was just feeding people for lifetime. Like he was just instilling, you know, the values of education. He was instilling the values of generosity and, and giving back. And, and um, you know, for that, I think that the, the, the area will always be indebted to, to Derek. And I know I will be, and I know a lot of people will be for his example of, of generosity and he had some great parties too and he loved to have fun he he made the game fun and um you know he um he, you know he would uh uh you know he was always there for the players to encourage them to not just you know um to play the game but to also in, enjoy it and 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 sort of just really like relish it right he he was always you know they called him like the the, the uh, party organizer of, of the NFL and, and his ability to go, he would go to Monday night football games and visit his friends, um, you know, because Tuesdays were our day off and he loved, he was the social organizer. That's what his nickname was, social organizer of the NFL because he loved going to Monday night football games and he would try to make as many as he possibly could. And, um, you know, Derek had some some great, like his, you know, I remember meeting uh, Hank Williams Jr., at one of his parties because he and Hank his Derek was in, I think in one of Hank's uh, music videos way back when. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, they were really, they were really good friends. So he had friends across, you know, all industries and, you know, parts of entertainment and things like that. And, and he exposed us to all that. And it was really neat. Uh, it was really neat for him to, um, to kind of, you know, to kind of expose us to sort of his celebrity. Cause he was really one of the first, chief celebrities, you know, totally. when you really think about it, right? I mean, totally. there have been some great celebrities, don't get me wrong, Len Dawson and, you know, Buck Buchanan and Willie Lanier and Bobby Bell. And there's, but there were some fantastic, you know, chiefs that had come through. But for that era, you know, when you go, you start getting into the 80s, 90s, he really, you know, bam, like he just put the, put the team up into that upper echelon for sure. Do you, and unfortunately, that's what everyone says, how, how great he was off the field and talk about that, that 
kind of magnetic personality and how, how he was not only giving, but loved to have fun. Such a tragic death was from a car accident. Uh, he was 32. Uh, and then he developed, he was paralyzed and shortly thereafter developed uh, blood clots. And that, that was ultimately what uh, killed him. Uh, Joe, do you remember where you were when you heard that he was either in that car accident or when he passed away? Yeah, you know, we we were back in 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 the Philadelphia area, and um, you know, I, my football career was at end. I was working in um, you know in the insurance business, and and um, you know, I remember hearing of you know the tragedy of it that he was you know he was on his on his way to the airport to go. I think he was going to visit the the NFC Championship game, so he was catching a flight. Mm-hmm. I believe I'm not mistaken, that game was in St. Louis. Yeah, I, I think believe. that's right. Yeah. And he was, you know, he was driving to, um, to the airport and, you know, Derek, number one, the first, the first thing that we all knew is that we knew that it had nothing, it had nothing to do with, with being under any influence as he was, as he was driving. And and I'll tell you how we know that. And, And this was, you know, Derek, a lot of people do, maybe, maybe they do, or maybe they don't, but Derek owned a limousine company. And, and the one thing about Derek, he was, and I mean, like we all should be anti-drunk driving, obviously, but you know, um, we, we should all be like that. But Derek was adamantly anti-drunk driving. And the thing about Derek was, is if he saw you out and you were even having just, you know, a glass of wine, like, you know, people, you know, they know most, some people know their limits. Right. Mm-hmm. And if he saw you out to dinner and, you know, Kansas City was, you know, big city, but relatively small, we would see each other out a lot. And if he saw you out with, um, you know, at dinner and you were having a glass of wine, first thing he would do, he's walk over, he'd say, I'm, I'm taking your keys. And you're like, what do you mean, Derek? He says, I'm taking your keys. You're, you're drinking and I'm going to call uh, one of my limos because he, you know, he had a fleet of limousines. He had, you know, D, you know, the Derek Thomas Crown Prince limousine company. Mm-hmm. And, um, He'd say, we're, we're going to, I'm calling right now. I'm not charging you anything, but I'm going to send a limo, take you and your wife or significant other or whatever home. And he would do that. Like, that's what he would do. Like, do you, so long story long, I didn't mean to go off on a tangent, but it was one other thing that was cool about Derek is that, you know, I knew right away it was, it wasn't him. It wasn't a drunk driving incident. It wasn't anything like that. I knew right there because I just remember though that he had never, ever, ever, uh, you know, had had been out drinking and, and got into a car because he was so anti-drunk driving, which was, which was awesome. Right. And that was a, a really cool thing that he was, he was kind of imparting on us is, is that you don't do that. And, and, um, he, you know, he was, but he was always late <laughs> to places and, <laughs> and Derek, you know, was, was, he was kind of always hustling and he was always moving and fast and he was, he was living, life at the, at the speed of Derek Thomas. And, and unfortunately, you know, when he was driving to the game, he, he was driving, you know, they say that he may have been going a little faster than he should have mm-hmm. and, and that he didn't have his seatbelt on. And, 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 you know, like, I think if I'm, if my memory serves me right, I think there was someone was in the back seat or maybe even the passenger seat that was wearing their seatbelt. They walked away from the accident. And, and, and Derek knew that after he had, come back, you know, come to after the accident, because, you know, there were these dramatic stories that he was, you know, launched, you know, X mm-hmm. amount of feet and yards from the car. And that like, unless you're Derek Thomas, you're not surviving, you're not even surviving an accident like mm-hmm. that. Like, like 
but he was such a physical specimen that, you know, he was able to withstand the punishment of, of that accident. And he did live and he, you know, he was paralyzed obviously from, I think his mid chest down from, you know, from what I had read and heard and different things like that. And, and so, you know, he was already working with his mom on how do we now make a positive out of this and start telling people, you got to wear your seatbelt. Buckle up, yeah. You got to buckle up, right? I mean, that's the, if that doesn't tell you right there in that phrase or that little mini story about Derek Thomas's tragedy, what kind of guy he was, then you've missed the boat on Derek Thomas. Right, that, that, is, that <laughs> really says it all. Um, so, it all. Joe, give us one, just so it's a little bit of a lighter note to end on, one last yeah. One last DT story you have for us. My fa- my one of my favorite memories of DT, and it ha- it has to do with his limo company. And I'm glad I, I I thought of that as we started talking about his limos. Derek, one of his favorite things to do, and was at prom time. Okay, mm-hmm. when when you know students in high school would rent his his limousines, um, and they would book his limousine company for uh, their proms. One of the things that Derek liked to do is he liked to pick one if he had a free night, right? I mean, Derek was a busy guy, but he did this quite often and, and he would tell us about it and we would we got to experience it. It was really cool. He would stay in the back of the limousine, right? So limousine pulls up, you know, how excited, exciting it is for a junior prom or senior prom and you, you're getting a limousine and then you're getting Derek Thomas's Crown Prince 58 because all of his limousines had the 58 number on printed mm. on the side. So you're getting a Derek Thomas Crown Prince limousine. Think about that if you're a Kansas <laughs> City fan. Imagine if like, Patrick Mahomes or, you know, any of the studs, you know, now that are on the Chiefs, you know, you're renting one of their limousines. How mm-hmm. awesome would that be for a high school kid? And so he would stay in the back and then all of a sudden the kids would take their pictures and then they'd get into the limousine to go to the prom. And there's Derek Thomas. <laughs> That's awesome. He did that. He did that more times than people know where he would be in the back of the limo and, and kids would get in and they'd be like, there's Derek Thomas and uh, and he would then go and he would talk to the kids about doing the right thing, avoiding drugs and alcohol, um, you know, staying in school, talk about his, his third and long foundation, how important education was. Sometimes he would go into the um, high school dance, do a couple dances with the kids and like hang around, sign some autographs. How awesome is that? Like that somebody would take their time to do that. That's it, one of my most heartwarming Derek Thomas stories because I could only imagine how you would feel as a 17 year old Chiefs fan and, and Derek Thomas spends time with you in the limo and talks to you, gives you some advice, goes in, has a dance, and then you know, then you go on your way. I just I just think I just think the world of him. I think he was he was just a really spectacular human being. That's such a cool story. Really, really kind of captures who he is as a person. Well. If you enjoyed this show, please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. We're available on your favorite directories, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. 
And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.